Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. I hope you're all well. Today, I have the lovely Sam, aka the Niku Mummy, on the show to speak with me. Sam started blogging just last year to offer an alternative voice for families who have had or may have a different experience to the norm. It's a blog for families whose babies have spent time being cared for in a neonatal intensive care unit in some way, whether for one day or one year. Sam talks me through her own experience with her son T, now four, and also offers some top tips of how you can support a friend or family member who may find themselves in a similar situation. Hi Sam, how are you? Hi, I am good, thank you. Um, just generally ticking along. You can be, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can be in this whole. Well, obviously not for you, but for us being stuck in lockdown. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. And your um, your little ones have gone out to the park to give you some space. Is that right? Yes, because um, otherwise I feel like it would have been carnage. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest one running up and down the stairs saying, Mummy, what are you doing? Yeah, Mummy, 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 Mummy. <laughs> I know that feeling. So the time difference has meant that mine have, mine have just gone to bed. So it's now my time to go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't wait for that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for speaking to me. Um, so as you know, I like to start the podcast with the same question, which is um, how you mm-hmm. met your husband. Uh, Yes, so um, we actually first met when we were about 11 or 12. Oh, really? Uh, (gasps) Yeah, we went, um, I moved school, so I moved to a middle school and he was at that middle school. Um, And then we were about 15 when um, we first got together. Um, Yeah, not 15. Yeah, so it's it's 15 years ago at the end uh, next week, actually, which is um, crazy. and uh yeah we've just yeah we've just been together there was um a couple of months when we first went to uni where we weren't together and then um realized that wasn't a good idea and yeah we've been together ever since that's amazing and you went to different universities yes so I went to Portsmouth and he went to Reading um only about an hour and a half um from one another so we weren't too far apart from each other which was quite nice um he did three years I had did a four-year course um but yeah we we managed to do it and then um we got married after we'd been together for 10 years wow yeah that's amazing Um, it's so lovely so yeah it was um it is it is yeah it is really it was I quite like telling the story (laughs) because I don't feel like there's not many people that can sort of say that um I think there is actually another couple that we went to school with who are still together um, and got married and, and had a child. So um, I know it's not just us at our school. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's quite nice. Um, yeah. No, I think it's lovely. <laughs> a bit Absolutely. different. Absolutely. So um, obviously you're called the Nikki Mummy. Um, so can yep. you 
tell us about your experience. Um, so, um, actually, not long after we got married, uh, we um, fell pregnant. Um, we, I think we kind of just figured, oh, we'd had had 10 years together yeah. just the two of us <laughs> <laughs> so let's just crack on um so yeah we fell pregnant quite quite quickly we were really really fortunate on that front um we had actually delayed our honeymoon so we went six months later um and so I was about 18 19 weeks pregnant when we went on our honeymoon mm-hmm. um came back quite excited because we were going off for our 20-week scan and we decided to find out what we were going to have and um obviously having had a lovely honeymoon we were sort of coming coming to find out what we were what we were expecting and um at the 20-week scan the sonographer kind of fumbled his way through um and said to us that he couldn't quite see all of the baby's diaphragm um but it just meant that we would have to come back another day and a doctor would scan scan me scan us and so we would just have to wait for that referral we weren't really sure whether or not we were supposed to be worried um I remember my husband did actually ask so should we be worried and he yeah. didn't really know what to say and from that we were a, slightly concerned yeah um but it wasn't until actually I got back to work probably an hour or so later and I'd, the hospital had called me to say we want you to come in tomorrow and to see the fetal medicine consultant right. and that's when I knew something yeah. wasn't right um I don't know how I got through that afternoon at work yeah. but I did um and yeah we went the following day so at least we didn't have too long to wait um, oh, I should say, they did actually tell us, that, uh, he did actually say to us that we were having a boy at this point, but we were very much like, should we be like telling people or yeah. we weren't really sure. So, so in this really sort of catch-22 situation. Yeah. Um, we kind of didn't want to sort of say to anybody that, oh, you know, something might not be right. We don't really know anything. Um, and we'd actually told everybody that we were going for our 20-week scan and we were going to find out what we were having yeah. and now when I have friends that are pregnant I always say to them don't tell anybody when your scans are because we had so many people messaging us mm-hmm. like that night saying what are you having what are you having mm-hmm. um obviously just as excited as we were which was obviously lovely but we didn't really know how we were supposed to feel about it so we didn't really want to talk about it yeah well you um, also actually didn't know what to say to them yet either because there was more information no. to give and then it's you don't want them yeah. to start asking you questions when you couldn't answer those questions yet and yeah oh, I understand yeah it, yeah it was, a, it was a bit of a funny one um so we went the following day to speech obviously have the scan and speak to the future medical med- uh, fetal medicine consultant it's a mouthful and uh, it is <laughs> um and he well they actually said that um our son had what's called a c-cam on his left lung which is basically a very large lesion um it was so large it pushed his heart to the other side of his chest wow. um so it we were told it was very very rare it was just one of those things that had happened um, during development, um, I naturally immediately felt, you know, it was something that mm-hmm. I was I responsible done. for. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is obviously not the case at all. It took me a long time to sort of realise that. Um, and they then referred us down to Great Ormond Street, actually. Um, and they just wanted to check that his heart hasn't, hadn't been damaged, which thankfully it hadn't. Um, and then they sort of said to us that they would see us every month for a scan. Um, it would either disappear um, as quickly as it sort of came about, yeah. which I was really sceptical about anyway. Um, the second option was that it could grow as he grows, um, or the third option was that it would outgrow him and be fatal. And that's all yeah. that I heard. Yeah. Um, so it was it then became a really stressful pregnancy, mm. which we hadn't seen coming. I'd actually been quite enjoying it mm. up until that point. Um, although I don't really remember much of the enjoyment. Obviously, I remember us being on honeymoon and that was enjoyable. And um, my husband actually felt the baby kick for the first time, um, I think, in our second week. So I never forget that. Yeah. Um, that's a really lovely memory to have. Um, and yes, yeah, so we had to go through the, the whole second half of the pregnancy, sort of not really knowing what was going to happen. They didn't know what would happen when he when he was born, if we would get to the end of the pregnancy. Um, thankfully, we did. So um, I was just going to ask. So um, hmm. you did you go to Great Auburn Street from like straight from the, the like really from the 20 week scan? So you started seeing them roundabout. It was so we had the 20 week scan on the Thursday. The, the following day, the Friday was. Um, Oh, no, sorry. Scan was Wednesday. Thursday, we went to Future Medicine. The Monday, we went to Great Ormond Street. Wow, that was really So fun. it was really quick. Um, re- yeah, really, really quick. I ended up being signed off work for the whole rest of my pregnancy because um, I worked at the time for a travel, agent, a travel agency and it was right smack bang in the middle of a department store. And I, I just, you see somebody who's pregnant, you naturally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. want to speak to them and ask yeah. them questions and yeah. I I struggled to talk about it to people that you know that I knew like let alone talking to perfect strangers about it and mm-hmm. I just just couldn't handle that on top of everything else um so yeah my GP recommended that I just be signed off for the um for the rest of the pregnancy and thankfully my work were really really good about it um so yeah, I was I was very very lucky it's good. It's in that good. respect. And we should also say because um, I've just established where you live and um, Great Ormond Street <laughs> is is not close to where you live. That's a you know that's a no. It's like two or three hour journey. Yeah. Um, and my father, so my husband was just going to drive us, um, but my father in law um, just said, you know, you don't know what they're going to say to you down there. It might not be the wisest thing for you to have to do that journey back so he drove us down there and um and you know came with us which which was quite nice because it was also like an extra pair of ears yeah um because I certainly once I hear something mm-hmm. negative that's mm-hmm. just me switched off and yeah. that's all I can hear and I can't hear anything else so it, yeah it was quite handy to have somebody else that was almost impartial in yeah. a way mm-hmm. obviously not because it was you know it's going to be his first grandchild but it wasn't just me and my husband. Yeah, so was, that was a step useful. away from it. He was a little, a little bit removed and could kind of be yeah. the information better. Yeah. So that was it for the rest uh, of the pregnancy, monthly visits. Yes, we just did those locally. Um, 
and each time we went the first couple of times I was really quite anxious about it um and I think after after sort of the, the third and the fourth time and they were sort of saying oh you know it's it's just growing with him I kind of took that as a positive yeah um they do actually show us around the NICU can't remember any of it don't oh. remember it at all <laughs> um I just I think when we went in there I was just like I just don't why are they showing us this like we're not going to end up in here and mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to need you know he's so far so good kind of thing um slightly naive maybe but I think maybe that's just what I had to think in order to get through the pregnancy yeah it's also just a, a, to do a what you got to do yeah absolutely and can you explain what what the lesion is what what it actually means um so it's just just sort of like a big growth that's there really um he when he was born they actually realized it was something slightly different so they realized that it was actually two separate lesions um and one one of the lesions actually had its own blood supply direct from the aorta oh wow um which when you say to somebody with a you know medical background that's the response that you get yeah (laughs) apparently it's really unheard of um and you know for them to say it to us we were like yeah and (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah just kind of um in the end it turned out what he the two lesions he had was a lot more rare than what the initial diagnosis was Uh um from fetal medicine so um yeah we got to 39 weeks um, and I was suffering really badly with PGP. Um, so I was on crutches for the last eight weeks, which mm-hmm. was, you know, just the icing on the cake that we needed. Yeah. Um, and the consultant agreed that I could be induced at 39 weeks because of that. Um, and yeah, so he, I was induced on the 1st of March and he came out the evening of the 2nd of March. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I know. Does. I've 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 heard stories about inductions. <laughs> yeah. I've had friends who've had them who took a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So I felt quite fortunate in that front. Um, and he came he came out crying, which I wasn't expecting. I don't. Well, they all weren't really sure what to expect mm-hmm. when he came out. But that was me automatically. Oh, he's fine. Nothing wrong. He's absolutely fine. Um, we had Did you get to a hold minute it? or so. Yeah, we had a, like a minute or so Sorry. of skin to skin. Um, my husband didn't. They just obviously just put him on me and then took him and put him in the little cot thing that's in the delivery room. Yeah. Um, my husband remembered that I actually said, turn around to him and said, oh, is he okay? And he said, yes. Um, months later he admitted to me that he knew he wasn't okay but he didn't want to yeah. alarm me mm-hmm. um so our son's got very deep chest recession mm-hmm. and he you could see that and actually I was looking through old photos um for when he was in the NICU and I forgot how actually his chest was a slightly abnormal shape because of the um lesions um, I don't know how I'd forgotten it, but I sort of noticed it in a picture. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot that that's, that's mm. what he looked like before. Um, so, yeah, he was um, whisked off quite quickly um, to NICU because they were expecting expecting him. 
um, at least for an assessment to see how he was doing. Um, so I was on my own then for about an hour and a half because my husband went with the baby. We'd agreed that yeah. where baby went, he went. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it was about an hour and a half later and they came back and said that he he couldn't sort of breathe sufficiently on his own. So he needed um, extra oxygen at this point um, and that they needed to do all these extra scans and things to find out exactly what was going on because obviously they had a little bit of a picture from when I was pregnant but they wanted to now he was out they wanted to have a better idea of what we were all dealing with yeah um and um yeah they sort of came back to us a couple of days later and said you know it's it's he's got these two lesions um one of them one of them needs to come out um and our the surgeons at our local hospital actually turned around and said this isn't something for us to do. We need to refer you. We need to send you to Great Ormond Street. And we were like, oh, going back again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is nothing we could never, ever imagined that that was what was going to happen. Obviously, they had sort of mentioned to us before that, you know, you might need to stay in the NICU, but being transferred somewhere else and to that hospital as well, because everybody knows Great Ormond Street. that was quite a big shock for us um but they said you know we're not in a rush he's stable we'll just we'll wait patiently for them to have a bed on their NICU and then you know we'll arrange the transfer for you to go down there so we've sort of okay that's you know there's a plan um we know roughly what's what's going to happen um and then I think on day nine um our son took a little bit of a turn and the consultant basically turned around to us and said he can't wait for a bed he needs to go there now and she ran off made some phone calls and then um a few hours later we were being bundled into this ambulance all together well um, in the middle of the night oh I don't think we even really had time to think about it to be honest um it was just a case of this is what we needed to do so we went we went home we packed um tried to grab some food um we didn't know how long we were going to be going for, so I overpacked. Although we couldn't actually, we couldn't actually take anything. We could take an overnight bag and an ambulance with us, but um, my in-laws agreed to bring the rest of it, all of our stuff, the following day. Yeah. So they said, just pack it on in a suitcase and we'll bring it. Oh. Um, so that was like one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, and that you know they had emergency accommodation for us and everything when we arrived. Um, and. Yes, then we were at Gosh for uh, almost a couple of weeks, I think. Um, and he had his surgery when he was 19 days old. Um, and they removed uh, one of the lesions because um, the, they could have removed both. But if you remove both, they're removing more of the lung tissue and it would have meant subsequent, sur- subsequent surgeries. Right. Because as he grew grows he would have needed prosthesis in there to make sure that all the other um anatomy was in the right place basically um so the surgeon said that he would have a look at the other one and judge during the surgery whether or not to leave it or remove it they left it um and it was then three days later we were then transferred back to our local hospital okay um so it happened really really quickly um and then we had another week and a half and then he came home so we had 31 days um across both NICUs um 
yeah it was yeah a whole month in there which was obviously there are a lot of other families who were in there longer like longer periods of time shorter periods of time Mm -hmm. um for me I don't really think it matters how long you were in there for um it's it's a really really tough place to be and obviously like I said before I didn't know anything about it really before we needed it and uh, having spoken to a lot of NICU parents since then everybody is in the same boat in that respect Mm -hmm. they you know didn't know anything about it until we until we found ourselves in there Mm -hmm. um so yeah so before we go on and talk more about NICU how is he now yeah he's great um he's living really well with the other lesion he's still um has sort of annual checkups although he didn't get seen last year we had a telephone consultation because of covid um, they did actually want to x-ray his chest last year but they've said that they could put it off until this year because um, he hasn't had one for a while and they just sort of want to check what's what really mm-hmm. um, but he's you know he's he's, an, he's a normal little boy in in the in terms of like his lungs um, you you wouldn't know that there had been anything wrong he's got quite a big scar um, on his side but other than that he you know, runs around, jumps around. <laughs> um, is very, very active, loves sport, loves swimming, loves golf. Golf. Can't get over how much, yeah, cannot believe how much he loves golf. Um, and, um, yeah, you just, if, yeah, if you met him, you just, you would never know that he had such a difficult start. And are they expecting any, any long-term effects from it? Um, I think they're just hoping that he remains, um, as he is and doesn't start to develop symptoms um, associated with the lesion that's still in there. Um, So I think when he was sort of started to crawl, starting to walk, starting to run around, I do remember being a little bit on edge about it Mm -hmm. thinking, well, you know, how's he going to cope? And I can't remember who said it to me. It might have been my husband, actually. He said, we can't stop him from running around when he gets puffed out because the more he does it, the more his lungs will get used to it. Mm-hmm. So although it was very, really tempting to say, no, 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 you need to sit down and you need to have a rest and you need yeah. to sort of chill out for a bit. We did just let him crack on. And um, yeah, he's, it, yeah he's, he's doing great, which is just amazing. And I, I think if you'd have asked me when we were in NICU, what, would it be like in the future? I don't think I would have predicted that he is as he is now. Yeah. And how old is he now? Um, he's three, but he is going to be um, four a week on Tuesday. Oh, lockdown birthday so, again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He actually had quite a big party for his third birthday. And it was a lot of people say to us, that, oh, his birthday was the last social thing that he did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we got that in at the nick of time last year um so yeah a bit more of a quiet one this year but um he'll yeah he'll still have it he'll still have a great day he's demanding that he has pancakes for all three meals of the day which we just did that for pancake day oh fabulous Um, I'm coming to live at your house well (laughs) yes he's (laughs) he yeah he's a big fan of pancakes so um (laughs) yeah that's that you'll all know what we'll be we'll be doing on his birthday (laughs) And of course, this year he's got a baby brother as well. Yes, 
um <laughs> yeah it's his first birthday with his baby brother so that's going to be very special as well um that's part of the reason why he got his big party last year because we were like oh he's <laughs> gonna, gonna have a sibling <laughs> um so um yeah it it's it it was actually interesting to to see them together because for a long time actually having been in NICU I was very much like no I can't I can't do it again I can't can't go through the pregnancy again Mm -hmm. that was more the problem it wasn't I didn't want to have another baby it was the can I go through another pregnancy with all the worry and the anxiety again um and as difficult as it was I would do it again um if it meant that you know, I got got the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so wonderful to see them together. Um, my youngest one is definitely going to wind him up a treat as he gets older. <clears throat> um, he's very, very cheeky already. Um, but yeah, my eldest just loves to make his baby brother laugh. Um, and it's finally at a stage where he can kind of pick him up. <laughs> I say that like it's it's not a great thing to look at it's just it makes me worry so much but um yeah it is so lovely to see them together and I think having his baby brother with him on his birthday this year I think will be really special absolutely and um, for um your second pregnancy were you given extra scans or extra support um I they agreed to put me under consultant care um I think for my peace of mind more than theirs yeah, I think they no. were quite happy for me to be a, a you know a low-risk low pregnancy yeah mm-hmm. um and I remember going I think we saw the consultant at 12 weeks um although we saw somebody who was junior to the consultant first and I sort of said to them look I want to have um I know we've got the 20-week scan but I want to have another scan um between then and the end absolutely I just want that reassurance and this doctor just turned around to me and said oh we only offer those to people who need them as like growth scans you can't just have an an extra scan and I just immediately just broke down um because I just kind of felt like I was almost being ignored Mm. I knew that you know the likelihood was it wouldn't happen again but I just wanted that peace of mind. It's a long time to wait, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Definitely. And um, she went off and she came back with the consultant who we'd had the first time. And I explained everything to him. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. When do you want to have your other scan? After the 20-week scan. Good. Um, (laughs) But I was almost sort of scowling at this other doctor (laughs) just to be like, you know, um, just, just listen to what, what I I need um you know I I didn't think I was being unreasonable I wasn't asking to be scanned every month like Mm -hmm. I was last time yeah um and so I mean the consultant said you know if it was up to me I would say between 28 and 32 weeks um I think we ended up doing it at 30 I think um because I'd also asked if I could have a cesarean the second time um because again it was one of those things that I needed to sort of get through I needed a date I needed to know exactly when you needed it things were going to be some controlling absolutely it it is all just a a lack of control thing Mm -hmm. um and he 
sort of said said to me, you know, I wouldn't recommend that you have a C-section because you don't need to have one. But if it's what you need to do in order to get through the pregnancy, then of course, you know, you can have it. So I sort of umdenard. I really, really wanted to have it. And then COVID hit and the thought of then having to stay in hospital longer than than, you know, necessary. Um, So in the end, we decided against the C-section, but then um, I didn't have a fantastic birth the second time. Um, And I actually (laughs) wish I'd taken the (laughs) C-section. So, you know, it's all about about hindsight. You can't, you can't change anything. Mm but it was just nice to know going through that second pregnancy that my worries and concerns were being listened to. Um, And that's all, that's all I needed. I just needed to feel like I was being heard. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You've got, you've got guidelines, um, but they are just guidelines. um, And that actually you are still allowed to look at the individual client and see exactly what's, what's the best thing for them. Um, Yeah. So well done that consultant. So you started, (laughs) um, you started your Instagram account. um, with the aim yeah. of helping other NICU parents? Yeah, so um, I decided to um, start writing a blog first and foremost. Um, and it was, I actually found it quite cathartic to write it all down. Um, so I was never that good at talking about that whole experience. Um, it wasn't actually until I had my second child that I began to feel okay about it. Yeah as in feel okay about talking about mm-hmm. it um I think because I then if obviously if you remove the whole COVID aspect and lockdown aspect to when he was <laughs> born it was pretty much a, a bog standard pregnancy and birth um or an experience so I just sort of was talking to a friend who was expecting um a few months later and sort of giving her all these like tips on what you know what she needed to get and not bother getting and things mm-hmm. like that and she's like oh you're so good at all of this stuff like I feel like you should sort of um make it available to everybody and I thought to myself well what I'm saying is just a lot of the stuff that's already out there but actually there are things that I have experienced that not everybody has experienced mm-hmm. and it was kind of I think I kind of thought that if I could help one person or make one person feel like they weren't alone, then it was worth doing. So I think I launched it uh, uh, early December um, and all of a sudden, like all these NICU parents were sending me messages saying, you know, I've always felt really alone. It's really nice to know that there's other NICU parents out there who understand how I feel or some people have said to me I've never even spoken to anybody else about it because I just feel like people don't understand what it's like and actually it was just then I was like you know I've got to keep this going because it's it is helping people Mm. and you know that is that is the whole point that is the whole point absolutely so that's awesome thank you well done um (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if it's a really stupid question, because obviously everyone's experience is like of is is very, very different. But mm-hmm. can you kind of summarize like some of the realities of of kind of day-to-day life with a baby who's in NICU? Yeah, so um 
I mean, for me, obviously, I did get a couple of minutes to hold him when he first arrived, but then I had to wait like a whole 24 hours later to actually hold him and for, you know, an extended period of time. That was also how long my husband had to wait to hold him for the first time. Yeah. Um, and there's so many, you know, NICU parents, some of them have to wait hours, days, weeks, months to hold their babies for the first time. Um, and I think it's so, it's holding your baby for the first time is so easily taken for granted yeah. because it's just, you just assume that that's just going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as they're born. And, you know, f- for some people, it, it's just not the case at all. And I mean, that brings so many different emotions out, out of a person. And, you know, that goes for mum and dad. That's not just, um, just a mum thing either. Um, but I mean, we quickly got into a routine. So we would be pretty much at the hospital for about 9am every day because we wanted to be there for ward rounds to speak to the doctor each day. Um, and then we'd sort of be with him after ward rounds. We'd pop down to the um, cafe and get breakfast and then go <laughs> up for another two or three hours and be with him and then have another hour out and have lunch in the same place. <laughs> um, I think you could have visitors in uh, like four till six, um, but that was only sort of, you could only have, two adults by each baby's bedside basically Mm -hmm. um so it'd be a case of one of us would stay with him and then the other one would usher the visitors to and from the NICU um and yeah that became that became our life for like the whole month and we'd sort of be with him until sort of seven eight o'clock at night um it was slightly different when we went to gosh because um what we obviously had like accommodation whilst we were there but it wasn't home Mm. so we didn't really want to go back to our room at the end of the day um but knew that we couldn't spend all day in the hospital um so we did make a rule that we would go out for dinner every night and obviously being in London and Great Ormond Street's right in central London so you know we ate all over (laughs) the whole time we were there and we felt guilty for doing it, which is ridiculous because, you know, firstly, we have to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expressing this whole time, so I definitely needed to eat. Um, and it just it just felt really bizarre that, you know, we were we were out in a restaurant whilst our baby was, you know, poorly in the hospital. Of, of but, course, yeah. Like I say, you have to eat yeah. and you need you need to get out of that environment, even if it's mm-hmm. for an hour or so um so obviously I mentioned me expressing so I had done very little research into breastfeeding before I had him I just kind of thought oh yeah we'll we'll have a go um but it wasn't an option for us to actually breastfeed um so he couldn't tolerate milk um until actually really he'd had his surgery so um I knew nothing about expressing they kind of just said, oh, you need to hand express to get your colostrum, which yeah. I, no, I didn't really have any idea what they were talking about. I think I don't know whether I just stopped reading that part of the book or I just forgot it or because um, we also did antenatal classes, but didn't definitely felt like a deer in the headlights 
or rabbit and headlights. I can't remember which one. It is. One of them. So I'm I'm absolutely brilliant at getting all of those things mixed up. So don't worry. I can't even correct uh, you. <laughs> um. So it was the whole feeding side was a whole new new thing as well. So he was tube fed um, for the first probably three and a half weeks, and then it was uh, it was Mother's Day. So my first Mother's Day, and. I was able to try breastfeeding him for the first time, um, which was actually quite a fun experience because obviously being tube fed, this milk just, you know, gets put in the, down this tube and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel really full. Yeah. Like I haven't had to do any work for it. So there he is trying to breastfeed and he's literally doing nothing and just expecting it to fall out. And I was just like, that is not how this works. <laughs> um, so it took him a few days, but then he he was then well away and we left NICU fully established breastfeeding yeah that's amazing um so yeah that was um gosh that's something to be really proud of that is a huge achievement yes I was quite naive to some to that part of it as well I think I just assumed that one every woman was able to do it um and two that um you know it wasn't it wasn't difficult but obviously since then and obviously maintaining um breastfeeding I think I ended up doing it for like nine months in the end um I definitely had a newfound respect for you know anybody that breastfeeds because I I honestly didn't have any idea how difficult it was and actually even though I didn't start in the conventional way the first time I breastfed um, my second as soon as he was um, as soon as he was out, pretty much, and it was just it was awful. Oh. Um, it was so difficult. It, I was in so much pain. Really, I think I, within the first week I was ready to jack it in, um, and I couldn't believe it because I thought, oh, surely the first time was going to be the tough time. Yeah, um, and no, it was it was brutal. Um, I did persevere um, and in the end he, he wasn't really into it so I think he was about four or five months and we switched over to um, formula and bottle feeding. I did express once in the morning which um, didn't quite make a full bottle so when he started weaning that used to go into his, his yeah. Weetabix in the morning Yeah, um, and he was still breastfeeding overnight until he was about seven eight months but other than that during the day just wasn't interested in it at all um probably a bit lazy <laughs> I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit easier to um well I feel like it is a little bit easier for them to bottle feed because yeah, no, I think it, it comes out at a faster pace isn't it um and I think he just was like you know I've got things to do so <laughs> crack on <laughs> something else brother to watch gonna see what he's up to <laughs> Oh yeah, that yeah, that didn't help. That was de- he was definitely the distraction. I think, of course. Um, and can you tell me or describe to people a little bit about the importance of um, like self care for somebody who's who's in NICU? Like, what 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 are your top tips with that? Um, you're covered. You're covered think, making sure you eat, which is a yes. Making sure you're eating, um, it, that's really important. I think the hardest thing is when you're taking time out of NICU to do something for yourself no matter how important it is there is always that guilt yeah um um and don't get me wrong I felt it the whole time 
Um, and there's some things I wish I had done differently. So I think there should have been, you know, a couple of times a week where we did get to go home earlier than normal so mm -hmm. that, you know, we could get that early night, could have that long bath or watch some crap TV something or like something. That. Yeah, read a book or whatever. Um, but I did actually, um, so after we went back to our local hospital, my husband actually went back to work. Um, his work had been great and he'd had three weeks off um, and they didn't even ask him to go back. He just felt that it was the right thing to do and that mm -hmm. he would then just take some time off then when um, our son was allowed to come home. Um, so I actually started taking a book in with me and I just thought, well, when he's sleeping, I can sit and read the book. And even though I was in the NICU, it, you know, it gave me half an hour just to get lost in something yeah. else and almost forget that I was there. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really, really helpful. Um, and I think, what would be my other one? I think to not beat yourself up for not being there all the time mm -hmm. because you can't do it. No. Um, we obviously didn't have any other children, but there are so many families who have other children at home and mm -hmm. feel so torn choosing between the children that they have at home and, you know, their poorly child in, in the NICU. Um, you're only human and you have to do what's right for you and your family. Mm -hmm. So if that means that you can be there with your baby all day, every day, and that works for family, that's great if you can only pop in for an hour each day because your other children need you or for whatever reason, that's fine as well. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no guidebook. There's no rule book on how you should cope with that situation or react to that situation. And I think, I mean, I felt it as well. Um, I thought to myself, Oh, if we're not here all the time, like oh, the doctors and nurses are going to judge us because we clearly yeah. don't care, <laughs> but that's not the case at all. No. Um, and, you know, it's, it's only years later that I've had the chance to think about it and realise, like, how silly that was. And that, you know, we probably should have done more to look after ourselves. Um, I mean, for me, I was hobbling around having had an episiotomy in those first few days. Mm. What I should, probably should have done for those first few days is not spend all day every day at the hospital. Mm. But I kind of felt like that was my only option I just had to suck it up and yes I was in pain but you know my son needed me to be there but actually would I have been better off you know resting up at home for sort of half the day and then going up and being with him but like I say hindsight, hindsight yeah. I'm sure everybody thinks about this stuff after they've left and wonder what they could have done differently and then I saw you did a poll on or you did a questionnaire on your Instagram page and I thought it was brilliant I absolutely loved it and it was about gifts for people who um who have babies in NICU and I wondered if you would share a few of your top um your top answers the one that I loved was um uh pay for their parking because hospital car parks are insanely expensive aren't they and they, they are I mean we got we were lucky we did get a discounted rate but you know that still adds up Mm -hmm. um and we were there for a month but there you know there are some families who were in there sort of three or four months yeah if, if not longer and it does add up and some of these families are traveling sort of hours from where they live to be able to go and visit their babies and obviously the cost of the extra 
petrol costs alone um, the other travel costs to sort of get those families um, to be with their babies um, it was actually really lovely when people responded and said oh we were so lucky because our friends and family all clubbed together and um, gave us cash to um, pay for parking and pay for petrol I thought that was brilliant mm, um, loved it the um, other really good thing I thought that people have said was that people sent them um food um from all these like different you know like hello fresh and um cook and things like that Mm -hmm. but that's such a good idea um we actually my best friend had her first child last last year and we we sent them a dominoes actually (laughs) um and you know it's just those sort of things that it's really really helpful because we never planned what we were going to eat for dinner that night when we got home. We used to stop, actually, the Tesco Express where we live opened up just as our son was born. It was perfect such timing. perfect timing because <laughs> we basically stopped there every night and picked up a pizza or a ready meal. We did not want to cook. No, of course um, not, no. And actually having some home cook, like sort of actual nourishment. Yeah. Would have, <laughs> Nutrition. Would really good for us, yeah. Um, so yeah there's things like that and another thing that sort of came up was um like a diary or a journal so that you know the the parents could sort of write down what was happening each day so that Mm -hmm. they had that sort of memory um or it's really good if the parents can't be there constantly which I think was why it came up quite a lot because of covid um and there was a lot of restrictions last year I think it's a little bit better now um but you know, there were times where like pe- parents who had kids in Nick- NICU in this past year sometimes didn't get the option to be there all day, every day. Yeah. They were only allowed in for, you know, a couple of hours each day. That and that's really, so really tough. Hard. Yeah. Um, so anybody that's sort of been through it in this past year, I just, I always sort of say to them, like, I'm just in awe of you because it's so, so tough. And then to have all the restrictions on top of that, it doesn't make the situation any easier no not at all so, so the diary that um is that that the nurses could could write in it and say what's oh, happened while they've been gone yeah yeah um sorry obviously went off on a tangent no, there, no, no, but it's yeah it's just uh, <laughs> to keep sort of keep track on you know so that the parents when they turn up they then don't necessarily feel like they've missed out on things yeah. no that's a brilliant um, idea so yeah it's, no I love that <laughs> It's really cool. And anything else you would want to say um, for people who are completely uneducated about NICU and um, and find themselves with a family member or a friend or someone? Is there any other sort of top tip you would give? Um, I think I think the main thing is to listen to the parents of the baby that's in NICU because it's really really difficult to imagine how they must be feeling if you haven't been there yourself um I mean we didn't have any particularly bad comments um made to us but I did do another um Q&A thing on my story about the worst comments that people have received Mm. and it does sort of make you think like (laughs) what were people thinking when Mm. you know they they said these things but I think it's a combination of not knowing what to say and they'd rather say something than nothing. And 
that doesn't always that's not always the best thing but I think if you listen to the parents and how they're feeling and encourage them to talk about how they're feeling um, and not just mum like everybody thinks about mum nobody remembers to ask dad Mm. how they're doing Um, and yeah just listening to them and trying to understand um, how they're feeling and what they're going through Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I found that the blog and Instagram and everything was helping. Um, the more we talk about it, the more we can educate people. And then in the long run, people can then better support any friends or family that end up in the NICU in the future. Mm, absolutely. hundred percent. That's brilliant. Um, and so to end, if you were to have coffee with uh, any other woman, um, alive, dead, family, friends, um, who would it be? Um, I think I'd have to say my best friend. Um, so we don't live very close to each other at all. We're a good sort of three hour drive from one another. Um, and she became a mummy for the first time um, May last year. We were actually due exactly one month apart, um, which was really bizarre. Yeah. And we were really excited to be pregnant together at the same time. And we saw each other end of February last year. And then we didn't see each other until August, which was really, really bizarre for us. And, you know, she wanted to be there for me when I had my new baby. And when she became a mummy, all I wanted to do was to be there for her. And Mm. we just haven't been able to do it. Obviously, we've been in, in contact every day as normal, but seeing each other and um you know being able to cuddle each other's uh new babies just hasn't hasn't happened Mm. and that's really sad for me and for her but yeah if I could if I could see anybody right now it would be her so that we could sort of catch up properly and swap babies have a cuddle (laughs) with each other's babies (laughs) yeah and just do like a, just normal things. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that would be who I would choose. No, I get it. I get it a hundred percent. And ha- since becoming a mum, is there anything you've found yourself saying that your mum or dad used to say to you? Um, I don't really remember a, things they said uh, to me, obviously at the age that my eldest son is now. But I do remember my mum saying there's only um, 18 months between me and my brother. And my mum always said to me that um, I used to like boss her around and tell her that she was doing it wrong when it came to my brother, my baby brother. (laughs) And I have had a bit of that now from my (laughs) eldest. So now I do know how she feels. (laughs) And it does it does make me laugh because I just think, oh, you've clearly gotten that. Yeah. bossy streak from me and then I do then feel a bit bad for my mum and then feel really bad for myself that I pass that on to him <laughs> and I now have to endure it yeah and your mum's probably loving it loving it going this is karma <laughs> yeah I don't talk to her about it too much because that's exactly what she would say to me <laughs> oh, well, she can listen to the podcast and find out <laughs> yeah well, my secrets are out now. <laughs> and, and I asked you about reality. Um, I don't know if I've doubled across the question, but is there any mum hacks, um, any life hacks that you would 
offer to someone who's gone through an experience similar to you or or anything just generally since becoming a mum um I think I think it would just be that particularly in those early days to allow yourself to feel whatever you need to feel so I didn't really feel like I was that emotional after I had my eldest even though we were in NICU and I cry to be fair I did cry every night that we had to go home and leave him behind um but when people sort of say to you like you know on on day three you're supposed to just bore your eyes out constantly (laughs) and things like that I didn't really experience that the first time but the second time I just felt like I'd been hit by an emotional bus um I just wasn't wasn't prepared for it at all And then I kind of got to the stage where I was just like, I'm just going to have to let it ride it out and allow myself to, if I want to be sad, I'm going to be sad. And if I'm going to be happy, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually one of, one of my friends had a baby just before Christmas and I dropped off some things on the doorstep for them. And one of, one of the things in the bag, I bought a box of tissues and said to her, if you want to cry, just cry. You just (laughs) got to let it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. You just need to go with it and not fight it. And I think I think that applies to everybody. Yeah. I don't think it's just a specific um, in the NICU. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's what I would say. <laughs> that's awesome. I think probably when you're when you've got a baby in NICU, then there's there's a part of you which knows you have to kind of keep going, and and you've got. I guess you're probably a bit of self-preservation that you don't feel like you can let yourself go completely because you've got to get up the next day and get to NICU and be presentable. And, yeah. And, and yeah. I guess it's kind of something within you holding, holding that back a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I had this really silly thing where I didn't want the doctors and nurses to see me cry, which was just ridiculous because <laughs> obviously they've seen plenty of parents. I'm sure they're used to it. And <laughs> exactly. And yeah, that was, again, hindsight. It's one of those things where I think back now and just say, oh, she's just gone with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Thank you, um, Sam, so much for speaking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, how can people find you? Um, so I've got um, a website, um, which is www.thenicumummy.co.uk. Um, so it's got all, it's all sort of like the blog posts that I've done so far. And actually I've um, recently launched a guest blog section. So there's a couple um, couple of blogs from people, other people on there as well. Um, and then um, on Instagram, I'm uh, the NICU Mummy. Nice and simple. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> thank you I hope you've enjoyed your um, hour of peace from your your lovely boys oh I have thank you so much for inviting me on you want to come on again tomorrow yes please (laughs) thank you so much and have a great rest of day and you thank you thank you bye a big huge thank you to Sam for speaking with me today the work Sam is doing is so important nothing can really prepare you for having a baby in NICU. So for families to be able to find a community full of advice, resources and experience is simply invaluable. Please give her a follow as the information she shares is so helpful should you ever find yourself close to someone with a sick baby. I haven't asked this for a while but again if you're enjoying the podcast please please rate and subscribe to help it reach more and more people. Thank you so much and have a super week. Bye!